Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is perinatal loss, and our guest is Alina Kaplan. Lena Kaplan is a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in Los Angeles. She specializes in infertility and perinatal losses. Her other areas of interest include the mind-body connection, creativity, and personal relationships. Dr. Kaplan teaches psychology graduate students at Pepperdine University and medical students at the Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Dr. Kaplan is a devoted tango dancer who has danced both in Los Angeles and Buenos Aires. Welcome to the show, Lena. Thank you. Hi, Lena. Having me. Great Hi. to have you on the show. Um, I'm sure you must have related to what we were talking about, didn't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think that I also was wondering about your student, whether she was one of the twins, but I guess she wasn't. No, she wasn't. She wasn't a twin. She just had, well, it was her brother, and um, she never got a chance to see him, mm-hmm. and it was never talked about, mm-hmm. and she felt like if she told people in society, they'd think it was strange because... She didn't, she didn't know him. Well, she's probably right in that, that mm-hmm. most people would regard it as rather strange. Uh, how can you mourn somebody that you actually never met? Right. And that's exactly the kind of statement that is being delivered or conveyed to many grieving parents of prenatal loss. Mm-hmm. How can you grieve a baby that you never really met? Mm-hmm. How can and, you really grieve somebody you never and, really had yeah. a relationship with or you haven't seen? And we're really seeing them early now, aren't we, with the uh, ultrasound. Well, listen, before we get totally into the topic, I wanted to ask you, how did you get in the field? In the field of psychology or in the field of perinatal psychology? Could be either. <laughs> <laughs> I think one is uh, more relevant, I think. Uh-huh. But uh, perinatal loss uh, has been really uh, all around me, both professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. I think that in my practice, uh, I've been working a lot with women and couples who very typically nowadays postpone having having children until much later in life, until their career were in places where they were financially more secure. And at that point, they thought that they were ready, except that their bodies were not necessarily ready. Mm-hmm. And so um, it came as a shock to find out that actually the body is not with a program, so to speak. And so many women find themselves more and more dealing with issues pertaining to fertility. I rather use fertility challenge than infertility because infertility implies some medical condition that is not necessarily. I like I like true. that reframe. Yeah, the fertility yeah. challenge. Yeah, and infertility since the old days has been associated with such um, you know really since the biblical times with terms such as barren and wasted and desolate, and it mm-hmm. really doesn't help much. Uh, when you think of yourself in those terms. I like the idea of it being a challenge that yeah, uh, people can work with. It's absolutely a yeah. challenge. Well, and I think, yeah, birth control pills have certainly changed uh, changed things a lot and been able to uh, allow people to delay much longer. Right, and created, I think, in some ways, an illusion of a choice. And, yes, we do have a choice, but I think that uh, women painfully finding out that at some point they no longer maybe have really a choice. Right, and Lena, it's interesting to hear this because I have my own infertility story and I've had two miscarriages. And when I was 
almost 40, 39 years old, I went to my doctor and said, you know, I'm trying to get pregnant with my second child, and I can't. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. You're only 39. Yes, and that's a very misinformed doctor. Absolutely. Yes, and in fact, nowadays, uh, American Reproductive uh, Association is trying to come up with different campaigns to truly educate women college uh, women and women in other settings just about the basics of your reproductive uh, system. Now, who's doing this? The American um, Reproductive Medical Association. Ah, the American Reproductive Medical Association. Yes. That's interesting. They're coming out to inform. Because I imagine there are some pretty angry women out mm-hmm. there Absolutely. that have been told that they could wait and, right. and now finding was, out that right. they can't. Were you angry, Heidi? I was angry at my doctor because I did wait I just didn't do anything. I was not, I didn't take any kind of action until I was in my, like, 40. And then I went to an infertility clinic, and they said, you know what, you should have come to us a year ago. You know, it's fine. We'll, if not and, earlier. Yes. And, yes. and right when, I mean, you should have, this is, you've delayed it. And then I had a, few, a couple of years of infertility treatments and was not able to get pregnant. Yes. Now, we also need to keep in mind that perinatal loss, happens independently of fertility or fertility-challenged um, issues mm-hmm. so that people can get pregnant, but they, for one reason or another, may not be able to carry the pregnancy to term, such as the case with a miscarriage, mm-hmm. or there is a genetic problem, or there is stillbirth, which really occurs in about 25,000 families a year. Mm-hmm. 25,000. Wow. 25,000. Wow. And stillbirth can happen um, before delivery. We call it uh, pre-delivery uh, uh, fetal death or during delivery. Now, what do you find out as far as trauma goes with people? Is there one that is most traumatic, or are you finding them all the same, or how does that work? Well, I think that certainly uh, the more there are medical complications, the more the situation threatening the woman's health, the more the situation happens in a setting or in a context when she's not prepared and there are, again, medical complications, certainly that immediately adds to certain trauma. So, for example, a topic pregnancy is really life-threatening condition. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's where the uh, embryos actually in the fallopian tube exactly. can burst the egg it. lodges in the fallopian tr- tube. Mm-hmm. And she may not even know that she's pregnant. Mm. So, And so? Mm-hmm. And so she, the, if it bursts, it's really uh, a life-threatening condition unless she can get to the hospital right away. So that certainly adds to certain trauma. Then uh, in situations like stillbirth, a woman can go through a pregnancy that is normal and she feels good and she feels healthy, and then truly without a reason, there's about 70% of those cases where there's no any one good explanation as to really what happens, but the baby's heartbeat stops. Mm-hmm. It's essentially she has to go through labor, induced labor or regular labor, and essentially deliver a child who is no longer alive. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Lena, what, what's the biggest misconception that you find out there about uh, uh, perinatal loss? The biggest misconception, and I'm pu- putting it in a very general terms, is that it's not a loss. Mm-hmm that, uh, as I was saying earlier, and in, re- in relation to also the student that Heidi mentioned, that people have a tendency to minimize and to marginalize this loss because the assumption is, an erroneous assumption is that 
the parents, uh, parents, the family, older siblings, grandparents, whoever might be in the family, has not yet developed a relationship with a real close person. Mm-hmm. Now, how about how about the husband uh, and the wife? Is there any difference that you see between those two as far as the loss goes? Yes, and I think that's another. I mean, I think important point to make, which is as with every grief. In this situation, too, people grieve differently, and oftentimes that may result in some difficulties in communication and in a relationship, but oftentimes um, the woman is um, having an experience that even though both people had the experience of loss, she herself went through the physical experience of the loss that mm. adds yet another dimension to her experience. Mm. And, and there are all those hormones sloshing around, right? Right. And, and in addition to that, I'm thinking the woman, and I know this from being pregnant, um, we start developing bonds with, exactly. with our baby when we're pregnant. Exactly. And if you already at the point where you felt the baby mm-hmm. in your body, certainly in a situation like stillbirth that you actually gave birth to the baby, it's, a, it's a, an experience that certainly adds yet another dimension to your loss. Okay, now what I'm thinking about, Lena, is, um, yeah, okay, so the woman has had this experience, but she has some medical people around her, or people know she's had the baby. They saw her physically mm-hmm. pregnant, and that kind of, what about the guy who just goes to work the next day or whatever, well, I you think know? he not just goes to work. He goes to work in the absence of um, really being able to do anything else because oftentimes the woman in her sadness and her depression and her really very distraught place shuts down, and she goes into her very private place where she oftentimes either cannot be reached or feels she does not being understood or she feels that she is the only one who truly uh, suffered the loss and everybody else are only kind of bystanders to her experience. I wondered, Heidi, did, did you think there was a difference between you and Marcus with that? Um, absolutely, because I felt like I, from the minute I got that pregnancy test, and that's, that's fairly, you can find out fairly quickly if you're pregnant nowadays a few weeks after being pregnant, I started thinking about the baby, and you, you figure out when is the due date. I mean, you've got it. You've figured out everything. Mm-hmm. The minute you find out, the minute it. you see that little blue line or purple-pink line, you've figured out when they're going to be born, what color you're going to paint the nursery. I mean, your mind starts creating another life. How many years apart your kids are going to be? So for me, it became very real, very much sooner. And I think the loss, for Marcus, it was a, a little bit more surreal because it was a miscarriage. Um, than it was for me, and like like Lena said, so we grieved very differently. But um, also, I have to I have to say, Heidi, that mm-hmm. uh, in all fairness, we oftentimes don't quite give men the kind of support that Absolutely. they actually oftentimes need, and we expect mm-hmm. them to be that rock upon mm-hmm. which we can lean and depend on in, in times of stress and crisis. But in fact, um, as I said earlier, on a societal, cultural level, it's oftentimes being minimized. I, I totally agree with and you. And so it's also being minimized that the man had suffered the loss of the dream of his child. Absolutely. And, and he, like you said, the men are not getting that recognition or that support. Yeah. usually going to the, wo- the women. 
Absolutely. And also we want them, right, in some ways to be, somebody has to go to work, right, and somebody has to be strong and somebody has to support us and somebody has to still care for the older children if they're older children in the family. So we put guys in kind of a double bind. We want them to be sensitive and we want them to share our feelings and we want them to be distressed over something as such as this profound loss. And at the same time, uh, on some other level, they're getting the message that they are expected to be the strong one. Right. It reminds me of uh, Pat Loader, who's the, our executive director of Compassionate Friends. She had two children killed in an automobile accident, and um, those were their only children. And she was in the hospital because she was in the accident, too. And her and she just, uh, you know, kept making demands on her husband. She tells this story. And, and one day he came in and said, um, Pat, how can I send you a lifeline when I'm drowning? Mm-hmm. How, that's a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. But, you know, I also mentioned to you that I found this loving poem um, on the Internet, and it's actually written by a man ah. and uh, dedicated to his wife. And I'm just wondering if that will be... Yeah, would you like to read it to us? Good... How many lines is it? Oh, gosh. <laughs> is it long? Like ten lines. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go for okay, it. Okay, so it's a poem written by Marcus Harvey dedicating this to his wife, Laura, and the child who almost was. Mm. No one understands how we ache. We ache in our hands because we cannot hold you. We ache in our legs because we cannot stand for you. We ache in our feet because we cannot run to you. We ache in our shoulders because we cannot let you ride on them. We ache in our knees because we cannot bounce you on them, and we ache in our eyes because we cannot see you. We ache in our ears because we cannot hear you. We ache in our minds for the void you left behind. Lastly, we ache in our hearts because it is torn in two. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, We should... uh... Where did you get that off the web? We should tell people where they can go find it. Do you, you know, know? I cannot tell you. <laughs> well, if you find it, if, if you I, find it, send it off to me. Yes, but it's Marcus Harvey. Marcus and it's Harvey. It's probably in one of those websites yeah. where people can make dedications to yeah. uh, perinatal. Law. Very nice. Um, I wanted to address an email because I think this kind of fits into what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Beverly from New York, and she says, "I saw you are going to talk about perinatal loss on the show." I carried twins for five months after conceiving them in vitro. It was emotionally difficult to lose the girls. Um, We have a son, and my husband says we should stick with the family we have. I would like to try again. Do you have any suggestions? Mm. Are you you talking to me? Yeah. Okay. Or, you know, Uh, anyone who has a lot of... No, no, no. I think that, you know, when you asked me earlier about... Trauma. Certainly, this is yet another dimension of traumatic experience with perinatal loss, which is you go through a really grueling experience of getting pregnant through artificial um, technology. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy process. Those people who haven't been through it, it's hard to imagine really how demanding. And it's, it's also expensive. It's like $25,000. Well, it's expensive. It takes emotional toll. It takes really a bodily toll. You're taking hormones. You're subjecting yourself to all kind of procedures. Procedures. You have, I mean, you have to do a lot of things that um, uncomfortable, embarrassing. It's a difficult process. Well, also the fact that these babies were five months old. Right. You and know, they were like they were little people when yeah. she had them. So he, you know, they. I assume the family should. They were born. It looks like in New York City. So I imagine, you know, the 
they were holding him and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I, she doesn't say the one thing how long it's been and how old she is. Those are questions too. Yeah, but I'm just you know? I'm, I'm just saying in terms of trauma that how traumatic it, it adds to the traumatic dimension when you're going through the experience of getting pregnant through uh, artificial technology and then you lose that pregnancy. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking also here that <clears throat> maybe her husband didn't get the support he needed. Maybe he needs to mm-hmm. talk to somebody or get some support to talk right. about his experience. And that's not an uncommon uh, situation where people are not necessarily on the same page with how to proceed with further treatment. Mm-hmm. It's difficult treatment, and it, they, it's like a roller coaster. Uh-huh. And so what I would say is that the important thing is to preserve their relationship and their communication about this matter, because if he's not on board, it will be very difficult to proceed from here on with another um, treatments and pregnancy if he is not totally supporting this um, pregnancy. Yes. Yeah, I would definitely suggest counseling because they have one child, you said, right? Yeah, they have one child. You know, because I, I can actually relate to this in some ways because after my infertility treatments and years of trying and the miscarriages, et cetera, my husband felt like we had one wonderful child and let's stop. And I was adamant that Alexander have a sibling. Because a sibling has, my siblings have been so important to me, and it has been such a big part of my life. And losing a sibling has been so was so devastating, and it created a lot of conflict in our relationship. And we had to go and get counseling to figure out how we were going to reach a compromise. It's hard to reach a compromise when one person wants a child and the other doesn't. <laughs> There's no such thing as a half child. Right, you need two for tango, you need two for pregnancy. Right, so, you know, I can, I've, I've actually heard this among a lot of people that have had these kind of issues where all of a sudden one spouse will say, let's stop, let's just stop, and the other one wants to proceed right. ahead. That's one of the most common presenting problems that I see when I uh, have couples coming in, mm-hmm. which is one of them feels like they're going to go through yet another in vitro and another in vitro, and they're mm-hmm. going to do whatever treatments are available out there, and they're not going to stop until they get pregnant, mm-hmm. while the other one may feel very differently. Yeah, right. and in my um, situation, I ended up adopting. Mm-hmm. Um, because the infertility route was just ended up being all-consuming, and I ended up saying I need to stop now right. and think of another alternative. Right, and you you probably know how all-consuming that can be. It, it takes you know you feel your like life. you have a terminal illness, as you know, Lena. You feel it from. I mean, you feel like at some point I felt like you know I feel like I have a terminal illness. Yeah, the the endless appointments, the endless medications, the endless mm-hmm. procedures. Um, all of that contributes to that sense that it really takes over. I mean, women had said to me, I cannot make a decision about a vacation. I cannot make a decision about whether I want to take a path, a hobby, if I want to do anything else in my life, as minor as that can be, because I'm all consumed with only one thing, which is those treatments. Right. So, um <clears throat> If if you're ha- if you're feeling badly about this, if you've had a perinatal loss, whatever, I think one of the things we really want to let folks know out there is that we know it's tough, and you also have the right to grieve, no matter if the baby was a month old or mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a month in vitro, I mean, in utero or what. That people really do have a right, and dads also have a right to be sad, right? Absolutely, and also if they have older children who knew, for example, that mommy was pregnant and they were excited perhaps about 
having a sibling, or maybe they were not excited. Maybe they had a lot of other feelings about having a sibling, and then they find out that actually there's not going to be a sibling. Do you have some thoughts about that? Just to, again, not to minimize the loss of older siblings. Uh, again, children oftentimes are being regarded as just children, and that's a whole, we can have a show on that in of itself. But in, in terms of the pregnancy, especially if it's a pregnancy that already was announced, people were talking mm-hmm. about it, if the sibling was talked um, about it in terms of expecting a brother or a sister, people were asking them about uh, this uh, coming sibling. Yeah, uh, especially if the, it goes on where the mother's got a big tummy. Exactly. Or even if she didn't have a big yeah. tummy, but it was the concept that the tummy is growing, for example. Yeah, yeah. Heidi, did Alexander, um, did you have any response uh, around that? Yeah. Well, you know, kids know a lot more than you think they know because they hear things in the house. And we had been going through all this infertility, and, and I had a couple of miscarriages, and so he started... Now, to say how old he was at the time. Um, it's... I started trying to get pregnant when he was four, and I ended up, it was about a four or five, four, yeah, four-year process. So so um, four, five, six, it, about four, five, and six, he started telling people one day, I can't remember how old he was, maybe four or five, that I was pregnant with baby Nancy. I don't know where he came up with this, and it wasn't true. So all of a sudden, people started asking me if I was pregnant with a little girl named Nancy, and it was a little embarrassing but it made me realize that he was a lot more aware of what was going on than I gave him credit for at that mm-hmm. time. Right. Mm-hmm. And as we know, uh, children have mixed feelings about having a sibling. It can right. be, on one hand, very exciting, and it's very thrilling. At the same time, children developmentally, de- depends on how old they are, have all kind of other ideas about as to why mommy and daddy decided to have yet another baby. Mm-hmm. So when that baby ultimately does not arrive and um, the child understands that something went wrong or mommy is sick and the baby is no longer with us and... Uh, that creates a lot of anxiety about just what happened and how their own magical thinking had anything to do with this tragedy. Now, what would you suggest that a parent say to their child right now if uh, they've uh, had a miscarriage or, you know, lost a, a child at birth or whatever? What would you say to well, their children? Well, certainly the parents need to take into account the, the circumstances of the loss as well as how old is the child and to be as simple as possible. I think that we oftentimes go from one extreme to another either we don't say anything or we elaborate on philosophical terms when the child actually needs to know something really very simple, which is mommy was pregnant, the pregnancy did not um, develop or um, uh, the pregnancy was discontinued, mommy is not going to have a baby or, you know, mommy is not going to have a baby at this time. depends on how old the child is and an understanding of what death and loss may actually be. And now what would you say to a teenager? Well, teenagers certainly understand more and they have more capacity for abstract thinking. They have more understanding of the reproductive system. So you can talk with them a bit more um, extensively about maybe what happened, uh, if you know what happened, because if you just had a miscarriage and there's no one good explanation for that, then that's just what you say. I mean, they have more terminology they can understand about um, those issues. But maybe not too much information, even mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, again, depends on really what did happen and depends on how, you know, 
how old is the adolescent and their own where they are in own their lives. And I'm also thinking maybe a comment about the fact that they may have felt you know they have lost a sibling. I don't know, Heidi. What's your thought on how would you you know do you feel like it's a loss of a sibling? To it sounds like the girl in your group felt that way certainly. She did. I guess it depends. I think that Lena would agree with this on how attached they felt to the pregnancy and to the child and how much the pregnancy was incorporated into the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my situation, I, I um, lost my pregnancies in the first trimester, so Alexander didn't really have a, an understanding of a, actually having a sibling loss, I don't think. Right. But if it was a full pregnancy and you right. had a stillbirth or you had a genetic anomaly that led to the loss, then certainly they know that something was there that was growing, that was alive, and that is no longer there. Absolutely. And certainly families who choose to have certain rituals, which, you know, many people nowadays choose to do mm-hmm. uh, to help with the grieving process, then if the child is old enough, certainly adolescents can take some part in it. Talk about some of the rituals that you've uh, seen people do, because our audience loves to to get some ideas of some things that they can do. You know, people do everything from something very private and meaningful, maybe just for the two people, or they, in situations such as stillbirth, they may have a full burial with um, a ritual depends on their cultural and religious uh, background. And I think that, uh, especially in situations like stillbirth, um, in the past, the medical community was very much against parents seeing the child and holding the child. But nowadays, there's much more support around that to mm-hmm. really treat it as any other death in which we, we can have a ceremony and we can have um, a religious quality to it, if we're interested in, but uh, there's no one ritual that I, you know, can recommend. It really depends on the circumstances. On your own culture, but would you consider that rituals are healing and can be a good thing for people? Yeah, I think they're great, and I've, I've also seen people create little shrines with little baby mm-hmm. boots, and you know, if they don't have a photo, they don't need a photo to create a little shrine, a little, well, a little candle, some little baby things where they can just go and remember. Remember the baby. Okay, uh, that, like that, to, just to add, Gloria, is yeah. that, you know that's yet another reason why this is uh, such a unique loss in that we don't have oftentimes rituals for this. I mean, we don't even have a Hallmark card mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. matter. For Hallmark has cards for everything under the sun, mm-hmm. but we don't have for that. And many people, depends on the nature of the loss, don't have something concrete as a grave site. And that's why there are many websites that were created to meet that need where people can do something to uh, remember, to uh, have something to indicate that there was a soul and is no longer. So, for example, born angels. Mm-hmm. That's one place where people can, can do that. But I think it's really um, out of the need to have some... Um, Process some ritual, something to some acknowledgement, exactly yeah. to remember mm-hmm. the baby. You know that gets me to another email from uh, Ron from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and uh, Ron says, "My mother told me about your blog and suggested I write in. My wife Shelley, who's thirty-five, miscarried uh, after two months. It's been four months, and she's still talking about the baby. Is this normal? I just think we should get on with it and try again. We're not getting any younger." That's a very interesting email to me because 
I think it uh, says uh, something about, there are a lot of things in it, but there's also the idea that, that if you have a miscarriage, we can just go do another one, uh-huh. you know. And it also goes back to, you know, we talked a little bit about differences between men and women, and kind of generally speaking, men are much better at being able to move on. They want to fix the situation. They right. want to do something to make their partner, to make their wife feel better. So, honey, if another baby would make you happy, let's just work on the baby. I think that's a good point because men do, they hate to see their wife suffer. I've noticed that at Compassionate Friends things. Have you, Heidi? Absolutely. And I I was thinking along this line is society does so many things to interrupt our grief when we've had pregnancy loss, um, such as saying, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Or, well, why don't you just go and get pregnant again and have another baby? Right. Or people say things really out of maybe good intentions but mm-hmm. are very devastating and very hurtful to the person who had the loss, such as it must have been for a good reason. Well, right. for a grieving parent, there's really not a good reason to, to lose their child. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. you know, you're young, you can try again. As if right. That means that it can replace the previous loss and the previous baby. Um, you know, I need. I wanted to just uh, make sure we didn't uh, cut Ron off because I wanted to thank him for the email. But and I also wanted to thank Beverly from New York, and we love your emails. Please keep sending them. But I also wanted to say he wants to know she had the miscarriage um, after. I th- first of all, I think it's wonderful that Ron's mother is the one that said to 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 go into the blog and look at it. I thought that was very nice because I think men need to connect more with Absolutely. with people out there and their mothers. And he says she miscarried after two months has been four months and she's is that normal i'd say it's pretty early wouldn't you i think that just too no normal or abnormal to the grieving process and maybe that's the most important point is that people do grieve differently the meaning that they touch to the loss is different this loss may stir up for her different than previous losses which is not the case for him so it will be really important to realize that um they may not grieve the same Right. And also, women aren't only emotionally recovering, they're physically recovering. Right. I think that's two months. You might not be ready to to, uh, get pregnant again. It takes a physical toll on your body to be Mm -hmm. pregnant. And for many women, there's there's experience of certain particular guilt or shame even to try and uh, get pregnant again as if in their minds that means that they forgot or they minimized themselves their previous baby and the previous loss. Oh, that's an interesting point. So that's something to just to keep in mind that, um, um, I mean, I've had women who were telling me that not only that they cannot imagine getting pregnant right now, they cannot imagine even being sexual at the moment because that's associated with potentially being pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they still very much uh, grieving and dealing with the loss of the previous pregnancy. I don't want to erase that very quickly. Mm-hmm. And how do you deal with that? With that, because I'm sure our audience is having some uh, sexual issues out there around this kind of thing. Because sexuality does uh, kind of is connected up with reproduction. Mm-hmm. 
Well, again, I think that goes back to the email that uh, you just read from Ron, which is, you know, she may not be ready, and it's important to realize that oftentimes in a relationship we're not on the same page on many issues, including this one, which is huge, and that for her four months is a very short period of time to really recover from. And it's actually only, oh, yeah, it's been four months, you're right. Okay. And get yeah. back life. Now, sexuality, it's not just reproduction. It's also connection with life and life energy and vitality. And and if she's still mourning, if she's still depressed, if she's still angry, upset, distraught, a whole gamut of feelings, that may not be a good place to feel sexual for her. Yeah, one of the things I usually suggest to people is that they start out very slowly. If guys are feeling, if they're having, they're kind of stuck there, is there other things sexually, you know, putting your arm around somebody, you know, hugging them, taking them out to dinner, those kind of things, uh, and kind of um, move things along a little bit with patients. you're making a good point, because I think touch is very important, but it doesn't have to lead to sex, sex, you know, sex. Right. But just touch in itself is important. Right. But I think it's also important for women to understand that if uh, your partner wants to be sexual, that also does not imply that he is not grieving. Mm-hmm. Sexuality can also be used as a way of connecting, as being close to somebody, to feel a shared experience. And for different people, sexuality can be very healing and very uh, a way of connecting to something emotionally. And so just because one of them is able and wants to be sexual does not mean that they forgot the loss, they don't care about the loss, they're not really uh, grieving. Right. And and uh, the idea of ritual can also help you to compartmentalize those things. And how would people get in touch with you? People get in touch with me either via email. It's Dr. Lena Kaplan, Dr. Dr. Lena Kaplan, L-I-N-A-K-A-P-L-A-N, all in one word, at AOL.com. Or my number is 310-277-4305. Hey, you want to say that number once more? Sure, 310-277-4305. And I just can't think of a better person if you've uh, got these issues to uh, see than Lena. And, Lena, um, I wanted to talk a little bit. You mentioned the replacement child syndrome. Could you say a little bit about that? Well, you know, the concept of replacement child syndrome actually originated after the Holocaust. Um, Just briefly uh, to mention the context of of this syndrome is when a child is lost under traumatic or difficult circumstances, as obviously happened in many cases during the Holocaust. The parent, uh, oftentimes the mother, feels the pressure to get pregnant again in order to replace, though obviously that's not necessarily the conscious thinking behind it, but just to have another child that would go on living and um, replace those who were um, deceased. Mm-hmm. And we find that this uh, syndrome creates many, many potential difficulties for both the parents as well as that child who is born as a replacement child, and that this phenomenon repeats itself around issues of perinatal losses. So uh, people oftentimes feel pressured, you know, I had a miscarriage, I had a stillbirth, I had um, a different kind of pregnancy loss, the best thing to do, which oftentimes we are told by physicians, we're told by people around us, is just 
to get pregnant again and have another child. Mm-hmm. Well, that may not be uh, the best recipe right away because what happens is, and that's what oftentimes I see, is women who get pregnant immediately after the loss while they're still in the grieving process, and they are unable, oftentimes entirely unable, to attach themselves and to be connected to their current pregnancy and later on to their child. So that could be a challenge for some of our folks out there. I think the number one thing to know is this is good information, and if you're having issues around that, you might want to get in touch with with somebody to get some help and support around this. If you uh, you may be feeling and you haven't known why, and uh, it may have something to do with this. Well, what are some um, other I, common this, feelings? I just want to chime in really quick and say okay. And there are those of us who cannot get pregnant again, and it's not an option, and it will never happen. And we have to grieve that loss as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Lena, could you give us some um, common feelings that people have that maybe our audience is having out there around uh, perinatal loss? Well, there's a whole gamut of feelings. I don't think that uh, there is a feeling that people don't have. It depends when and in in what context it may come up. But oftentimes we have strong feelings of guilt, self-blame, and shame. No matter what the physician or what the medical situation is, the woman especially oftentimes ends up feeling that she must have done something wrong or she is being punished for something that she had done in the past. Um, It usually can be seen as some protection against overwhelming feeling of powerlessness and overwhelming feeling of helplessness that we have around the loss. And we need as human beings to come up with some explanation as to why something as horrible as this happened to us, mm-hmm. even if it means taking on the blame for it. Even like I remember you, Heidi, saying that you thought maybe you drank too much Diet Coke. Right. You're wondering right. what you've done to cause this. Like but I think uh, Lena makes a good point. It's really a way that we try to control our world. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. I think we get into maybe blaming doctors and hospitals and, you know, that kind of thing. We've got to find some reason. Right. But that doesn't take away oftentimes from self-blame, especially if, you know, you can find something that uh, can be magnified. So, for example, if you had when you were very young an abortion, then suddenly that abortion would become a core point that you would magnify to make it as a reason as to why now you had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So I think those are really some mental issues that people probably need to get some help if they're feeling that way. What about our physical body? Is there something that we can do? I know you're a tango dancer, and there's nothing more demanding than that uh, physically. Um, it's a, it's a, almost a sport, isn't it? It is a sport. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it is demanding both mentally and physically, but I would say to people that, you know, uh, do whatever it is that feels good to your body. It may be, I think dancing is incredible. It, it doesn't have to be tango. It can be any other form of dance that you like the music and you connect to that form of dance. It can be yoga. It can be jogging. It can be hiking, but do something for your body that really feels good to you, um, both athletically and then also experiences that are just nurturing, such as massages, that um, just taking care of the body instead of, which I oftentimes seen, uh, being angry at your body and taking, mm-hmm. so to speak, as, you know, some of your frustration and disappointment on your body by neglecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
How about food? Do you do you talk about food or drinking water or any of those aspects? You know, I'm not a food expert, actually, but I would say that, uh, again, just be good to yourself. Yeah, Eat healthy, you know, take care of yourself. I mean, I think that it's hard to do when we are depressed, right? We either uh-huh. overeat or we don't eat. So, and then if that's the case, then for time being, you may need to give yourself a break and realize, okay, all you need to, all you want right now in the midst of this horrible period of time is hugging does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, we can do only so much at any given time. So when we're grieving, it takes a lot of mental, physical, spiritual energy. Absolutely. And getting into spiritual, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, again, I think it's like with dancing. You have to connect to something where you feel grounded, where it feels that it provides a measure of support, it provides a measure of nurturance, it provides some connection to um, yourself in a way that feels meaningful. And it can be different things for different people. For me, tango is a spiritual experience. But, well, and, um, and some, I've talked to many women that believe that since their ba- believe their babies had souls and that they will be reunited with them one day, and that gives them great comfort. Absolutely. So it depends on what's your belief systems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for some people, which is not unusual, that it's after such profound grief and loss do they find their path back to spirituality. Mm-hmm. So that might be for many people one way to cope with the loss is by reconnecting maybe with some spiritual experience that you know, a spiritual practice that they haven't had in a while. Right. Well, I think that the points that we've made on this show, they're really important ones, and I think, and the points that you've made on the show, Lena, I'm thinking that one of the most important points is that you have a right to grieve. Absolutely. And to claim it. And I claim think, your you know, grief. If I could help, you know, people to really have their voice and be assertive when they hear comments that are not sensitive to their grief, mm-hmm. such as, well, you know, it has been now uh, a few months, why don't you just get pregnant again? Mm-hmm. And uh, how wonderful it can be if instead of feeling bad about that comment and that maybe we should get pregnant and something is wrong with us, we could actually have a voice and say, I'm still grieving. This is my loss. Mm-hmm. And, t- and take control of it and claim it. Heidi, do you have any thoughts on that? I think those are wonderful words of wisdom. I would, I would just second that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So be willing to claim your grief and um, be patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, physical exercise is good. Make sure you eat right. Um, and uh, realize that... Sometimes you have to educate your community, don't you? And I, I know that that's what you're doing out there, Lena. You become an, amb- an ambassador of sorts. Mm, I think that's I like what I that. hear oftentimes from uh, women who've been through perinatal loss. They be- feel that they become ambassadors for education, not on any massive level, but just on a personal level with encounters with people who really have the best of intentions but very much limited in their understanding and their capacity to empathize with this kind of a loss. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't do very well with abstract losses. Mm-hmm. And, and people can go on the Internet and there are um, perinatal loss uh, organizations. That many, can, many organizations. That can help you out. You can find some Absolutely. In, in your there's community. Blogs and there's resources and there's uh, 
sites for uh, remembering the losses and the babies. There's sites for grandparents. I mean, there's really a lot of sites. A lot going on. And also, if you want some feet on the ground and to do something, you can get in touch with your local hospital. I'm sure they have uh, groups going on uh, that you might be able to help out with, or uh, your church. There, uh, and look in your community for grief groups. Um, you can go to Compassionate Friends. And um, also, I'm very far out in my grief with Compassionate Friends, but I do that as a support for other people. So there are lots of opportunities for service out there also. Absolutely, and support can be so profound in this uh around this experience. And don't forget the, the you know, we're talking as women here, but don't forget the guys out there. You can get out and get help, too, and Absolutely. encourage your husband to do it. It has been, or your boyfriend or whoever, your significant other, because it has been their loss also. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and uh, it's time for us to close the show today. We want to thank Lena Kaplan for being on our show. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.